where I would go with that question is self-leadership. That's what we're talking about here. So the more we empathize with ourselves and are compassionate with ourselves and the parts of ourselves that maybe we don't love, the more we can empathize with the struggles that others are having. This discussion about well-being is all about self-leadership. By taking care of yourself, you become better at what you do and you become more present for your clients, for your spouse, partner, kids, friends. Welcome to Lawyers Who Lead, a podcast that challenges the notion that the law lags behind. I'm your host, Sigal Barnes. Each week, I invite a lawyer who's making powerful changes through extraordinary leadership. In each episode, we'll travel through another lawyer's life, identify what they do best, and then devise how to apply these concepts to your own world. So let's get to it. Welcome to Lawyers Who Lead. I'm your host, Sigal Barnes. Our guest today practiced in New Jersey's Attorney General's office before becoming a licensed professional counselor in North Carolina. Since then, he's dedicated his career to helping the legal profession through his psychotherapy practice and the Lawyers Assistance Program in British Columbia. He's also a seasoned speaker and educator on important topics for attorneys, including ethics, grief, wellness, and diversity and inclusion throughout the U.S., Japan, and Germany, including the U.S. military. He is also the co-founder of Real-Time CLE, an organization that provides continuing legal education programs on all those topics to attorneys nationwide. This is an attorney who has an immense dedication to helping lawyers thrive. Please welcome our next lawyer who leads and my very good friend, Michael Kahn. Michael, welcome to the show. Hi, Seagal. Thank you. I got goosebumps when you said my very good friend. That felt good. You are my very good friend, and we've known <laughs> each other, believe it or not, over 10 years now. Oh my gosh, yes. We met at a Association of Continuing Legal Education conference, didn't we? We did. I met you and your partner at Real Time, Chris Osborne, and it was like my first conference, I think, ever. And both of you were so warm and welcoming and inclusive. And I was this very young attorney just starting out. I always remember the people that are kind and welcoming from the get-go, and you and Chris really were. Thank you. And not to make this a love fest, but (laughs) (laughs) you were the same way. And that's why I remember vividly when we met the actual moment we met at the conference. And just as a shout out for the, it's called ACLIA. That's how everyone is in that organization and why I'm so drawn to be a part of the Association of Continuing Legal Education, because it is such a welcoming place where folks are all about sharing and not protecting. And this is my area and I'm going to be jealously protected. It's all about sharing and helping. That's what drew us to the organization and what drew us to each other. Absolutely. Shout out to Aklia for sure. Yes, yes. So Michael, as you may or may not know, I like to ask every guest at the beginning of our episode for a little slice of life, a little gratitude. Right. So can you share a favorite thing that happened today? Yes. I'm on the West Coast, so it's still kind of mid-morning here. But for me, it was looking out the window, which I like to do for breaks when I'm sitting at my laptop. But this morning, it was even before I started working looking out the window and seeing completely blue sky here in Vancouver. There's a few months in Vancouver where there's a lot of clouds and rain at times. So to see full blue sky made me very happy. There is something absolutely serene about seeing not a cloud in the sky. Thank you for sharing that. And what a beautiful visual as we start this conversation. So I would love to start with your journey. Did you always want to be an attorney when you first started out? No. 
I did not. I did. A resounding no. <laughs> a resounding no. I didn't know what I wanted to be. And that, that was one of the challenges. I mean, it's amazing that we go to college and they ask us to declare a major when how the heck do we know? Many of us don't know. I was going to major in accounting, which is laughable now if you think about it. If you know me. And- <laughs> It's true. In my interest, but that's what I was going to do. I took a class in accounting and quickly decided, no, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I went to Emory. It's a pre-professional school. A lot of people going to grad school, med school, law school, business school. And I thought, well, what do I want to do? I don't want to go to psych grad school. I thought that was just being a psychologist and testing and all that. I don't want to do that. And I thought, well, I'll go to law school, <laughs> major in psychology, that maybe will be a benefit for law school. I have no idea where my career services office was at Emory. I never attempted to get any guidance. May have talked to my parents and friends a minute about it. So went to law school. It was more of a default, I hate to say, than it was being pulled to. And I actually enjoyed law school, which I know some people out there may be thinking, what? Enjoyed law school, but I did. I enjoyed the intellectual stimulation. I mean, don't get me wrong, the amount of reading, the Socratic method stuff where you're called out. That wasn't fun. But once I was out practicing, I fairly quickly realized it was not going to be a good fit for me. And that's how I ended up changing careers and becoming a therapist. So how long between when you graduated law school and making that career change? Six years with the attorney general's office in New Jersey, represented the Department of Corrections for two and a half years and Department of Environmental Protection for three and a half. And If I was going to practice law, that's where I'd want to be. No billable hours is very relaxed, mostly nine to five, sometimes late nights, not a lot. Sometimes weekends, not a lot. Interesting issues. I got to hit the ground running, did federal trials, state trials, administrative hearings, appellate court arguments, agency advice. So that was fun. And the people I worked with were wonderful, still friends with some of them. The actual practice of law the nuts and bolts just was not a good fit for me. I'm not a guy who loves conflict, not a guy who loves arguing, not a guy who likes writing. (laughs) So there are a lot of aspects of the law just were not good fits for me. What I did like was advising clients, especially my agency clients. I liked that. I liked helping out in that way. I actually went to a professional coach who worked with lawyers, who was a former lawyer himself, getting his PhD in counseling. And he helped guide me to really validating what I already knew, that I wanted to be in a profession that was more building up folks. Not that lawyers don't do that in certain aspects and areas of the law, but I wanted to be an area where I was helping to build folks to help heal folks in collaboration with them. So I was drawn to going back and getting my master's in counseling. So it's really cool that you worked with this coach. I mean, now there's coaches everywhere, right? But I think back then that wasn't as common, especially a professional coach that works with lawyers. What made you do that? That's a good question. I don't know how I found him, but somehow I was fortunate enough to learn about him because I really was flailing a little bit. Of course, there was a part of me thinking, my gosh, I went to law school. I spent all this money, all this time, and I'm just going to throw it away. So I did consider other areas of law and I decided there's just not a good fit. And somehow the universe just sent me to him. And it was so long ago. I don't remember how I was able to find him, but he was such a good match. And I'm actually still friendly with him. He's written a good book on what to do with your legal degree. Larry Richard, I'll give him a shout out, but he ended up just being so helpful. Was there a moment in your coaching with him or 
perhaps another pinnacle moment as you were practicing that made you realize, okay, like I really want to help lawyers in their journey from a wellness perspective. Interesting. I'll give you a moment that was more, I need to make a change. And I was driving to work on Route 1 in New Jersey to my office in Trenton, New Jersey, for anybody who is from New Jersey. I'm driving to work early in the morning, 7.30 or so, and I started pounding the steering wheel because I was so unhappy and so depressed. Pounding the steering wheel as I'm driving to work, not the safest thing to do in the world. And that to me was just a wake-up call. Michael, you got to do something different here. You are miserable. And that was the moment where I decided I can't do this any longer. Going through something like that and really feeling so strongly and deeply about being unhappy and having to make a change, (laughs) I think is a really valuable experience to have as you look to helping others who are going through that same thing. It's not just sympathizing. It's really understanding the struggle. Yeah. And listening to it. I could have done that and then just gone on to work and gotten back into the routine. But that was just such a dramatic thing for me. And of course, I had heard those things before that moment, little whispers in my head, you're not happy, this is not working out. But then those response whispers of, wait a second, you went to law school for three years, you worked hard, you spent all this money. How can you throw it all away? So you had those conflicting things going on. But that moment was so dramatic that it just got my attention. And it still took me another three years to figure out what I wanted to do. I didn't leave the law for another three years after that, but I'm a bit methodical that way. But it was the moment where I shifted. It's so hard when you spend so much time and money on something to walk away as someone who used to practice and then did the same thing. I totally can understand that feeling, but it's understanding that there is currency and happiness. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, there is. And saying, you know, Although I spent all this time and money and I'm glad that I did that, not regretting, but rather being grateful for that and then saying, but however, my happiness matters and I have years of happiness that is currency. I need to move forward and invest in that. Mm -hmm. So you make the decision. It's three years later. You were very methodical about it. Take me through that thinking and take me through what happens next. Uh, With the help of Dr. Richard, I um, went back to school went to University of New Orleans and then transferred to UNC Greensboro, where I got my master's. I got a job at a family counseling agency in North Carolina. Wonderful experience. Learned a lot. Got paid more than 50% less than what I was getting paid as a lawyer. So it was a sacrifice in terms of income, but well worth it. I certainly do not regret the change that I made. Learned a lot there, then opened a private practice, which I really enjoyed. One of my main areas of expertise was grief. So did a lot of grief counseling, did some work with an agency that worked with parents who had children die. So I did groups and I loved doing those groups, helping people in that place where they're grieving a significant loss and seeing folks in the groups connect with each other. So I really enjoyed that and then moved out West and got connected eventually with Lawyer Assistance Program here in Vancouver and doing a couple of days a week with them, seeing lawyers. So the cool thing is, yes, I left the law as a practicing lawyer. But I still am working with lawyers. So I'm bringing that experience I had as a lawyer to my work with clients, just like Seagal, you are. You're not practicing anymore, but you're still in the lawyer world. So that's the cool thing. Yeah, I may be not practicing anymore, but I'm still using my experience as a lawyer. And it gives me more credibility, too, with lawyers to know that I practiced. 
Absolutely. You really understand the very unique things that are potentially happening to lawyers specifically as they're going through these specific issues. So you've been talking about wellness for a pretty long time, and especially as it relates to lawyers. And it's wonderful because that discourse has now become way more widespread than it ever has before. But you were doing it at a very early time when that conversation wasn't happening as often as it is today. Can you talk a little bit about some of the very specific issues that lawyers deal with from a wellness perspective? Mm -hmm. Chris and I did start doing this early on in uh, our CLE, so early that in North Carolina, I think it was North Carolina, where you couldn't have anything about self-care or well-being in the title. Like we had to bring it in through the back door. So we would do ethics programs, but we would talk about well-being in the ethics programs as a foundation for making good ethical decisions. You have to be in a good place in terms of your well-being. You're more likely going to have blind spots if you're not in a good place, if your needs aren't being met outside of the law. So we started doing it that early. Now, fortunately, as you say, the discourse is out there and valued. One of the main challenges that a lot of particularly young associates are dealing with are billable hours. Some small firms are doing things differently, not doing billable hours, but that still is the way of the world for law firms. And these young associates are struggling with the amount of work that they have to do to get their billable hours. But one of the cool things I'm seeing with young lawyers that I never would have thought of doing as a lawyer is they are pushing back. They're setting boundaries, not all of them, but I'm hearing some of these younger lawyers saying, I can't do that. I've got all this on my plate already. I can't do what you're asking me to do and get it to you in this amount of time. So I'm seeing some young lawyers very respectfully setting boundaries, which I think is fantastic. And like I said, when I was a lawyer, I would just dutifully say, yes, Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I will do it and not even consider saying no or saying, hey, I can't do that right now because dot, dot, dot. I believe it was the New York Times that recently released an article about the shift in ideology from boomers and Gen X. And I always hate to like stereotype generations, but this was what the article was talking about, how boomers and Gen Xers, for the most part, understood that there was a job to be done and then they went home. And then somewhere along the lines in like late Gen X, early millennial time, there was this shift to the importance of having purpose in your work, defining your purpose through your work. And a lot of organizations were working very hard to help people do that. And then the article went on to end with this idea that there's another shift happening, which is going back to the idea that you go to work to get a job done and to get a salary in order to live your life to find purpose within your life. So I find it interesting as it relates to what you were saying, which is that people are starting to push back and create these boundaries Yes, because there is a shift coming. And that shift is that our success does not have to be defined by what we do at work. That purpose and meaning at work is great, but it doesn't have to be the purpose that you have in life. That's right. So I think it's wonderful. And I didn't mean to go on a soapbox there, but I thought it was just really relevant. No, that's true. And COVID accelerated that as we seen with the great resignation. And I've seen that with some of my lawyer clients, that they're making changes. They're maybe leaving a firm that's not a good fit for them, or they're reducing their hours, or they're changing their roles, maybe going from a firm to in-house, if that lifestyle is something that they think will work better for them. So there's definitely a lot of movement in that regard. And of course, I'm seeing, you, you asked about what kind of issues am I seeing? Anxiety and stress are still right up there as far as what are some of the presenting concerns my lawyer clients are coming in with and helping them with coming up with ways to set boundaries between work and home, 
to identify things that are depleting them at work and home, and also talking to them about, okay, be more intentional about identifying things that replenish you. I love your question that we started with about starting my day and what was something I noticed. So I like to have that conversation with lawyers about what are the things that you do that fill you up? Because lawyers are getting better at doing things before the day and the end of the day, but it's during the workday that I like to focus on with them. You need to do stuff throughout your day, not just in the morning and at night, but throughout your day, identify things that replenish you. Can you give some examples of what lawyers are doing? Yeah, sure. So it can be as simple as I know one lawyer, and this is pre-COVID, but he said that he brings his favorite mug and tea to work. So he has this mug that feels good in his hand. And that's something that it seems minor, but that's something that fills him up. Someone else will go outside, just walk around outside for 10, 15 minutes. I know someone else said they go to the restroom even if they don't have to go. <laughs> it's just, it's something that they intentionally will force them to get out of their chair and have a break. I mentioned looking out the window. That's something else that folks have done. We're fortunate that we're working from home because of COVID. Some people would say maybe not fortunate, but that we can be around our animals. For some, that's been wonderful to have their animals around. So those are some of the, again, simple things it doesn't have to be something that costs anything or take a lot of time, but simple things that give us just a moment of refreshment and soothing energy. I agree. It's really important to emphasize the small, simple things that we can do. A lot of times when something, a change that's very grand can be very intimidating and therefore we'll push it off. And those small things like the animals and the cups of tea, those things that fill us up can really make a difference now. Yeah. I also talk to them about, look at the environment that you're working in. Is it a place that feels comfortable to you? Does it fill you up? Does it relax you? Is your workspace looking like that? Or if you work at home, is your home space? Because that's really important too. And music is another thing that lawyers will identify. Music is so key for me when I'm working. I love to have my, I call it my epically focused playlist that I've created of all different movie scores that are very relaxing. Ooh. I'll share it with you since yes. we're friends on Spotify. Please. I feel like I'm doing something epic, even if I'm not, because the music, <laughs> the playlist, <laughs> I'm like writing an email and it's like the most epic email I've ever written just because of the background. <laughs> you know, one thing that you talked about that I thought was really interesting is obviously the billable hour is very stressful for attorneys. And this is something that I had not quite made the connection until we just talked, which is that at least for me and a lot of people that I speak to, a lot of the anxiety and stress around work comes from not feeling like we have enough bandwidth or time to do the things that we want to do for ourselves. And then that is extremely tough when you're an attorney because you're competing with the most important thing from a revenue perspective for a law firm, which is time. You're billing your time. So there's this like weird I don't know if this is the right psychological term, but cognitive dissonance between like mm -hmm. the desire to bill your time and do what's needed to succeed in the law firm, but also at the same time, finding time that's also extremely important for yourself. How do you help people who are really struggling with those two things, especially when it comes to things like, well, I need to focus. And if I get up, it breaks my focus or it doesn't make me more efficient. What is a piece of advice that you would give for that? Well, I would push back on that last thing you said, that it feels counterintuitive for my clients when I talk about this, because they will think that exact thing that you said, well, I can't afford 
to get up. I don't have time to get up and take even a five minute break. In fact, I had a young client, young lawyer associate in my office said, I can't look out the window even for 30 seconds. What if my boss walks by and sees me looking out the window? Wow. Does that mean I'm daydreaming and not working? So they feel like I don't have the time to take a break. I forget who said this, but I saw a quote from someone said, when you don't feel like you have time to take a break is when you need to take the break. The longer you go without taking a break, the less efficient you become in your work. I know it feels uncomfortable for many, but by taking a break, by refreshing, you come back and you're more efficient. Your attention is better. Your energy level is better. So that's one of the things I do is push back on that mindset. And I validate too. I say, yeah, this is hard. Being a lawyer is hard and it is a challenge. And I often point to the lawyer, the well-being task force report that came out about four years ago. And there's a great graphic in there that defines what a thriving lawyer is. And it lists six different parts, occupational, intellectual, social, emotional, and relational other areas. And also we've at LAP in Portland and also in Vancouver now, we include cultural well-being as a piece to that. But I point to that and say, hey, yeah, you're taking care of your occupational, but look at all these other areas that you need to focus on to thrive. So we start small, like we, we don't go big, like you said, but let's start small. Let's look at what are some of the small changes that you can do? Maybe leaving work a little bit earlier, maybe starting this replenishing habit that I talked about, starting to, to look at small changes that they can do. I remember I had one lawyer who came in, he was depressed and anxious and he had his own law firm, shared it with his wife. And I think we identified the fact that he would read the newspaper in the morning and the newspaper would often put him in a bad mood or a sad mood. It wasn't rocket science here. I said, don't read the newspaper in the morning, <laughs> which he stopped doing. And guess what? It helped him. So starting out in the morning is so important. What you do in the morning, again, I go back to your question that you asked earlier. That is so important because that starts the day. So don't look at your phone and your emails right in the morning or texts right in the morning. And I'm not perfect at it either, but do something to get your mindset in the right place in the morning. It's so important to start the day in a way that really grounds you and makes you identify what's important to you so that you keep that top of mind for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. And that power of pausing, right? That power of reflection, I think in many ways is the first step, right? Yes. Self-awareness. Yeah, self-awareness. You can't identify the things that you can do to change if you don't take the time. Realize, wow, the newspaper makes me sad every morning. <laughs> That's so key and so insightful and a great practical takeaway as well. I want to make sure that we get through some of the questions that I ask everyone. Michael, what does leadership in law mean to you? Where I would go with that question is self-leadership. That's what we're talking about here. This discussion about well-being is all about self-leadership. By taking care of yourself, you become better at what you do and you become more present for your clients, for your spouse, partner, kids, friends. I love this concept of self-leadership. I love this idea that we must be leaders of our own selves before we can lead others. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very easy for us to do a lot for others without thinking about ourselves. I know in my personal experience that happened to me and I burned out. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of what we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, which was, you know, you went through this very pivotal moment where you were banging on the steering wheel, which then allowed you to better understand what others are going through. It's very important for us to understand what self-leadership is so that we can lead others towards that path. Absolutely. 
And vulnerability is such an important piece. So the more we empathize with ourselves and are compassionate with ourselves and the parts of ourselves that maybe we don't love, the more we can empathize with the struggles that others are having. And it's not just therapists, lawyers as leaders, especially the lawyers who are the leaders need to have this empathy for the struggles that their associates are going through. I did an interview with Mike Kasdan, who's this wonderful lawyer practices. He's out there doing great work, but he, to me, is a great leader because he talked about, it doesn't serve me to burn through associates. It doesn't serve the firm to burn through associates. So he recognizes that he needs to empathize with the challenges that associates are going through and not expect too much from them or put too much on their plate. Mike shares his own struggles. And by having those personal struggles and getting through them and continuing getting through them, he empathizes with the folks who report to him. Absolutely. First of all, yes, he is fantastic. I follow him on LinkedIn and everything he writes. I just very much appreciate. I admire people who are able to take their struggles and then be able to empathize with others. But I also admire the individuals that don't go through those exact struggles and are still able to empathize. One of the things that I hear less nowadays, but I used to hear a lot when I was a younger lawyer first starting out was, well, I went through this, so you're going to have to go through this too. Right. Yes. What a terrible thing, right? Like I did it and I had to struggle and I had to have pain. So everyone should have pain after me. That's the rite of passage. That's right. And to be able to challenge that. That's the opposite message you want these folks to take. Exactly. It's saying I went through this and I don't want you to go through this is so key. Yeah. Or I went through this and I know that you're going to have to go through this in some way because that's just the way things are in terms of working as a lawyer. And this is what helped me. So them gaining from your wisdom and your experience. Absolutely. All right. So if there was one thing you could change about the legal industry, what would it be? (laughs) It would be billable hours. That's a big one. I would say, again, in learning from my work with lawyer clients, I would encourage leaders to be better at sharing what's working. What are the lawyers doing well? Because I think the mindset for many leaders can be, well, I don't need to comment on what's working. Let's focus on what we need to fix. So I would say do both, of course. But remember, it helps to be encouraged. It feels good. And to know what's going well. So that would be one small piece other than the large chunk of the billable hours piece. That would be something that I think is very doable. Absolutely. It's important to learn from the things that are working. Mm -hmm. And to feel encouraged. Oh, yeah. It's so hard for people to encourage and give positive reinforcement for other people. And I don't understand why. Like, let us give positivity. Let's encourage other people. It's Let's not be stingy. Let's look at the one thing we shouldn't be stingy with. I like that. What is something that people seem to misunderstand about the work you do? Fortunately, it's getting better. There's still a stigma around therapy, but it's so much better. And we're so busy at LAP, which on the one hand is a concern, of course, that lawyers need to seek us out. But the other hand is great that they know we're a resource and they reach out to us. I had two emails waiting for me on Monday from clients who I had seen previously who want to come back because they just need some maintenance, which is great. So one thing that's misunderstood, I think, by folks is that you have to be in a really horrible place to go to counseling, that you have to be in some major crisis or have some significant mental health disorder, and you don't. You can just be someone who needs to talk to somebody about something that's a normal day-to-day thing. It could be a relationship concern or work stressor or grief, grief and loss. And not even grief and loss necessarily around a death, but maybe a job change or a move. I had a client yesterday who's needing to leave Vancouver because of issues unrelated to what he wants and he's struggling. 
because he's really going to miss a lot about Vancouver. This is where he grew up. So it doesn't have to be anything, quote unquote, major. It could be something, I just need to talk to someone who's objective. You know, I talk to my friends and family and that's helpful, but someone who's objective and has an expertise who can be of assistance. What is a piece of practical advice for our listeners? These are leaders and future leaders in law who are looking to follow your lead. I think one of the traps that lawyers get into, many of us, but particularly lawyers have this fixed mindset that I am a finished product. And if I make a mistake, then that's the end of the world because I shouldn't make a mistake. I am in fact done. I am complete. So one piece of advice that I would give, and I'm still working on this myself, is have more of a growth mindset, have more of a belief that, okay, yeah, I'm going to make mistakes. And most of them hopefully are good mistakes that I learned from. And that's not the end of the world. I am learning. We all are learning as a young associate to expect that I'm going to practice like someone who's been practicing for 20 years is just not realistic. I'm not saying celebrate mistakes, but understand and realize that they're going to happen. I'm going to learn from them. And then the next time I will handle it differently. So that would be one way to answer your question. The other way I'd answer your question in terms of following my lead, and you mentioned the word at some point earlier is kindness, is I would love to see, and it's so weird. I mean, I'll be vulnerable here. I'm getting choked up as I share this because I, I just don't feel like there's enough kindness in this world right now. And uh, wow, this is weird <laughs> that this is happening to me. But you can tell it's just so important to me that there needs to be more leading with kindness, leading with empathy with patience, with acceptance, and even with people who you disagree with. Abraham Lincoln had a great quote. I'm not going to say it exactly. He said, I don't like that man. I need to get to know him better or something like that. Interesting. And I love that quote. And it's hard. Don't get me wrong. It's hard. It can be hard. But find something you like about someone. And I have to do that as a therapist. It's not hard. Find something you like about something, even if you disagree with them. To me, that's really important. Then I'll recommend a movie that was a real salve for me during COVID. I went to see the documentary about Mr. Rogers. Oh, I love Mr. Rogers. Yeah. And I went twice. And the movie, there was a movie with Tom Hanks, but this is the documentary. To see someone who lived his life that way, just led with kindness. And there were no skeletons in his closet. He wasn't a perfect guy. You see in the documentary, he certainly wasn't perfect. It was encouraging to me to remind me that there are people out there like that. Thank you for all of that powerful advice and for being vulnerable. I appreciate it. Sure. Who is someone that really shaped your journey in life? Of course, I'll say my parents in different ways. And I'll also name my boss at my job as a therapist at the Family Counseling Agency. He showed me, this is perfect answer now that I'm giving him as an answer. He showed me about good leadership, how he could walk the line between being a good leader, demanding respect, and also being a friend. And boy, that's a tough tightrope to walk. And he was able to do that. And he also protected us when we needed to be protected. When there were issues going on in the agency that we didn't need to deal with, that was for him to deal with. I mean, there were some things he needed to share with us, of course, but he knew when to uh, take things on himself and when to share with us. And he also gave us the latitude, as I mentioned earlier, to try new things, to make mistakes. And there are other folks I'm sure I could identify, but those three, my parents and John. Well, John sounds like an amazing leader. What a wonderful blessing to have someone like that in your life to really show you all those leadership skills, which, yes, are extremely difficult to balance. I particularly love that last one where it's protecting yeah. the team that you lead from things that they don't need to worry about that are on you as the leader to have to worry about. 
while also continuing to be transparent about the things that you have to be. Exactly. Wonderful. Well, final question, Michael. What do you do for self-care? Oh, nothing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Play the guitar. Music is really an important part of my life. Listening, playing. I'm in a guitar group that started during COVID, a virtual guitar group. Meets every Friday. There's a theme and we each play a song for everybody. It's a little bit scary. Animals are huge for me. We are between dogs right now, but being around animals is huge. Jogging is important for me at all times, exercising and being outside. All beautiful things. And Michael, I want to thank you so much for being here. If someone wanted to connect with you, any of our listeners, what is the best way that they can do so? They can go to our website to see more about what programs we do, realtimecle.com. You can also email me at Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at realtimecle, that's R-E-E-L, timecle.com. Awesome. And if you could, because we actually didn't talk about it, but I want to get this in. Yeah. If you could just share a little bit about why you're called Real Time CLE and how that all comes together. Sure. Well, oh yeah, that's the other thing I do for self-care, actually. Movies. I love movies and good TV shows. We use film clips in all of our workshops, both Hollywood, but also we've made four or five of our own films. In fact, I just did a program this morning before our podcast where we used clips of our own films to facilitate discussion and to make it more fun and entertaining for folks. That's awesome. I absolutely love your programs. I think they're fantastic. And may I also mention that you very much need to meet another Lawyers Who Lead guest. His name is Doug Passan. His episode was on leading with story. He loves guitar, oh. loves movies. He uses documentary films to help with sentencing mitigation. Wow. I think that you guys would get along. That's great. Little shout out to Doug, too. We're doing a lot of great shout outs today. Well, thank you, Michael, so much. I feel so honored that you were able to do this with me. And thank you for all the work that you're doing for the legal industry and for attorneys across the country. It's very meaningful. It's very important. And uh, I'll see you in a few weeks. Thank you, Sagal. It was a huge pleasure to be with you today. Thank you, leaders and future leaders, for listening today. We have a new guest every week, so don't forget to join us next week. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe or follow us anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also follow at Lawyers Who Lead on social. Let's celebrate and continue to build a community of leaders in law together. Lawyers Who Lead is made possible by Lawline, the leading online platform for lawyers who want engaging, relevant CLE and professional growth content. For over 20 years, Lawline has helped hundreds of thousands of attorneys level up by providing award-winning courses in hard-to-find areas and high-demand fields. They have so many courses to choose from that are actually really interesting to listen to and watch. That's why Lawline's rated the highest in the industry with over 1,000 verified reviews on Trustpilot. Lawyers who lead listeners get $100 off Lawline's unlimited annual subscription, which means you can take as many courses as you want for a really good price. Just visit lawline.com slash podcast to get the special offer. Check out Lawline for the best content for leaders and future leaders in legal.